Are you guys ready up there? Hello and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsella, I'm a producer at Tile Media and Jumper Productions and I'm also a Women in Film and Television board member. At Catalyst International Film Festival this year, Women in Film and Television held a very special panel in partnership with Screen Ireland. This panel comprised of respected film critics and was moderated by Gemma Cray of Film Ireland Arena and featured Ruth Barton, Arena, Roe McDermott, Hot Press, Mohammed Tariq, Egyptian Film Critics Association, and Chris Wasser of the Sunday Independent and Irish Examiner. The panel reflected on the role the critic has in the industry and looked at whether they are drawn from too small a pool and how does this impact on the films reviewed and the perspective of the reviewer. So I just want to welcome our lovely critics. So thank you guys so much for coming. We have Dr. Ruth Byron, who's the Associate Professor of Film Studies in Trinity. So thank you so much. And a reviewer for Arena and who has written many books on the subject. So we'll be definitely uh, getting your research. We have uh, Ro McDermott. So she's a journalist, a Fulbright scholar, and she is... Um, uh, a writer for Hot Press and a reviewer for Hot Press. So, um, like that, we were there. You have covered a kind of a great range of subjects, and and your expertise is not just in film. So, um, and I, I think also you're you're a public figure as well, and I think that's quite interesting to get where you're. Uh, you know, sometimes we write our reviews in in quiet, and we we publish them, and no one really knows a lot about us. But I think that's something that's that's very interesting as well. Um, we have Mohammed Tarek, who's a programmer and a member of the Egyptian Film Critics Association. So thank you so much for coming. So again, you bring a lovely uh, international edge, so you can cover a, a little bit more of the global industry. And then we have Chris Wasser, who's an independent writer. He is a film and TV critic, and you're going to be on Arena next Thursday with me. So we'll, we'll probably agree to disagree now. So... So that's great. So we have a, like a really wonderful panel. So thank you guys so much. So a lot about like a film critic. There's not necessarily one straight route to um, to to getting this role. Uh, like I think Ruth's was probably the working really hard on a PhD and then <laughs> being a literal expert in it. But for the rest of us, it's it's more of a complex um, a journey to get here. So I just wanted to um, maybe go through the panelists and and ask you guys a little bit about how you got where you are today. We'll start with you, Ruth. Obviously, thanks, Gemma. Now, as you say, I mean, like really, my job is um, being a college lecturer, which I am at Trinity, and I've been teaching film studies for many years. But I mean, for me, it really started with with radio work, and that's that's really all I do. Um, and it started just being invited. I think I was promoting a book I'd, been, I'd written and I was invited onto radio or I actually probably pushed myself onto a radio program to, to promote the book. And I suddenly realized I just really liked working on radio. It's a medium that I, that, I, that I found I was really comfortable with. I'd been on TV. On, there was um, a review show with John Kelly uh, that I was on for a while. But, I, you know, you had to dress up and you had to kind of put on a shitload of makeup and look sort of... And there were certain dress codes and then, the, you know, you're just about to say something and the camera kind of comes in on top of you. So I never really felt that kind of spontaneity, whereas what I really enjoyed about radio, and, and I've kept doing it, and now I regularly review films on Arena, is that 
particularly when you've got, I mean, and I would give a lot of credit to Sean Rocks, and I think you probably all would too, it feels like you're having a chat with friends. And what I've always kind of... Um, so, that, so, my, so that's, you know, my day job is obviously teaching film at Trinity. But um, what, I, what, I, what I try to do is I, I, I like the idea that I can take those academic ideas that I'm uh, writing about in, say, journals, all those, you know, those kind of more in, intellectual, if you want to put it, thoughts, and apply them to a film and discuss a film in a way that is not just, oh, I like it, I don't like it. Because I do think the I like it, I don't like it, the sort of Rotten Tomatoes thing is... Um, it's just so superficial. And I also think um, a lot of journalism underestimates what the audience wants, um, that there is an audience out there who really wants something a bit more engaged than just, I like it, I don't like it. So I've always kind of thought my role as you know, both an academic and a film critic was to bring that kind of academic knowledge I had, but to also, my test to me is to articulate it in a way that doesn't sound to, you know, overwhelmingly academic, but seems to, to address what an audience might be interested in. So that's, that's where I'm at. Brilliant. Thank you. And Tarek? Uh, it's very complicated, but I'll try to, to summarize the story. It's like I was like uh, doing, uh, like I, I studied medicine, and like in my third year, the revolution... A, a natural progression there from yeah, <laughs> medicine yeah. to film. Yeah, so your parents no, were delighted. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, they are not. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Now, now they are much better. But like when I, when I, whenever I converted it, it was like it was like tough for them. Uh, for me, like the revolution became, and I was like living in a very small city south of Cairo, and it's like in the middle of nowhere. You have no cinema, you have no theater. So it's all started with the internet and like lots of boredom and empty time. So like. Lots of films after, like, the revolution, cinema clubs started, and then, like, I got introduced to, like, uh, different names. I remember, like, the first art house film I saw. It was, like, Underground by Emir Kustrista, and, I, like, I watched it on three parts. I didn't even complete it in a once that, uh, that time. Uh, then I, I started, like, exploring myself in a way, and then I tried different things. Like, I tried poetry, I failed with it. Uh, tried music, of course, this wasn't like the case until I found like film criticism. I guess it was like, yeah, it was like me in a way. So it's a, it was, it's for me like a kind of self-expression in a way. And also you have the knowledge and like the passion for film. And that, that's so true. It's it's interpreting an art form as well. Like it's you're you're taking somebody's work. It's not just a, a cut and dry. Yeah, I like it or I don't. But you're using your creative skills to yeah to to interpret it and to to sort of share it in that broader level as well. So that that is lovely. Great, Chris. Um, hi everyone. Uh, I sometimes tell people that I accidentally fell into film criticism. Uh, the reason I say that is because I set out to be a music critic and worked as a music critic for seven or eight years. And uh, I think Arena, actually on RT Radio 1, they were the first, I had been doing music reviews for them, and they were the first to ask me to do a string of film reviews one week. And sitting in a theater and, and watching a film and, you know, talking about it on radio made me think, oh, maybe I want to do this more. Um, but you're always, you know, 
positions are al already filled up. You think to yourself, I want to be a critic somewhere, and there are already critics working in the places where you want to work. So sometimes you are waiting for someone to leave or retire or whatever it is, or just to take a break. But a position did open up at one stage, and I started working as a film critic for uh, the Herald newspaper, which I worked as a, uh, the film critic there for five years. I work as a critic now for the Sunday Independent. Um, and I think the... I, I still do a little bit of uh, you know other other stuff in arts journalism, but but reviewing films is something that kind of it, it makes sense when I think about the fact that when I was a kid, uh, you know, film was my first love. Then when my dad brought me to the cinema, we used to go to the cinema every week, if not every week, every fortnight. And two days later, I'd still be asking questions or talking about the film that we had seen, and my dad would be like, "That's that's the end of that." Um, <laughs> but I would keep going, and I would want to dissect every angle of it and I would want to you know have an entertaining discussion about it and I think that's very important too because if arts criticism should be you know an art form itself and you should have fun with the role and you have a responsibility and you have like this wonderful opportunity if you have the space to review a film and if you're being paid for it as well which it seems like a bonus now but uh you know to to have fun with it and to be constructive and to be intelligent about it and not just to say whether something is good or bad or to put a score in it and just say you know go see it don't go see it um to really you know talk the hell out of it or write the hell out of it um and that's what i love doing and i love doing that even more so than i did with music or with theater so yeah that's the boring story of how i became a film <laughs> Um, yeah, I think there's two strands to it. I think on the practical level, I did film reviews in college and I was studying English and philosophy and women's studies. And I think I did a lot of gender and cinema courses when I was in UCD and I've always been really interested. I think all of the work that I do now and I you know, write features and I do opinion columns and I write a lot about gender and sexuality. And I think empathy and kind of curiosity has always been the driving force of all of my writing and kind of recognizing the spots where we don't extend empathy and we don't extend curiosity or what's silencing people. And I think for me, there's such a natural connection then with art generally and what vision of the world art presents and what vision of the world art leaves you with or how it changes your vision of the world. And cinema and film is the most mainstream form of art that we have. And so I was always really interested in that. And so was doing film reviews in college and then did a journalism MA. And so I remember it was my first day in DCU and said, like, I'd love to be a critic and love to be an arts critic and literally had my white male lecturer laugh at me. <laughs> I think it was a mix of... I watch you, a woman, <laughs> write about film. Well, yeah, let's not talk about DCU. Um, but I think there was also a recognition of it's really hard to get a job in journalism and it's incredibly hard to get a job as a critic, a paid job, because people keep them for a very long time. There are very few of them. But I did really feel passionate about it and said, I would do this for free. And if that's what it takes, I will. But I got an internship at Hot Press magazine. And just timing wise, Tara Brady, the incredible Tara Brady, who is now with the Irish Times, was leaving for the Irish Times. And I had been an intern for a while. And I made it very clear that I was going to work really hard. And I wanted to write about this. And I have to just say thank you so much to Tara, because Tara really fought my corner as well. Because I think Tara, at the time knew how few women there were being given opportunities to be critics in Ireland and how few opportunities there are for women generally to be film critics and Hot Press has always been a supporter of women writers and you know tried to be as diverse as possible in their coverage and there were, I think there was another guy vying for the job and Tara was like, she's proven herself, she's going to work really hard and you have created this great tradition now and you can't go, You can. we can't regress in terms of the Irish film scene and in terms of Hot Press as well. So she was amazing and I think 
to have there again, you know, I think when I started working, there was Tara, there was Esther McCarthy, um, and possibly myself. And I think there were the only few women who were working full time as film critics in print journalism. And there was just such a recognition of this needs to keep moving forward. So I think that was really, really important. I do want to say, and I know what you mean, that it feels like a bonus when you get paid. But I also do, for people who are listening and editors who are listening, I think that rhetoric can be around of like, it's for the joy of the cinema. But I do think writing about film is an art into it unto itself and it should be an art and it should be taken seriously and so I'm just always wary of when we fall into the tropes of saying it's just we should do it for the joy no we should do it for the joy and we should get paid please yes, <laughs> like, definitely but I think that's like burnout is definitely discussion among all creatives um at this particular juncture and like expecting people to do work for free is is a is a dangerous road to go down so you're very right but i also think it creates classism and it creates exclusivity within journalism and within arts criticism because if you can afford to do it for free versus people who cannot afford to do it for free that is going to inherently create a gap between who can become an arts critic and who can't and if we think of journalism which is already rife with like unpaid internships and if it requires a degree that's already going to you know put middle-class people um, on a higher pedestal than other people and create these accessibility issues. And I think when we're talking about film criticism, the pool needs to be diverse. And so those opportunities need to be paid and they need to be accessible. And so keeping in the realm of we're going to underpay you or we're not going to pay you at all or we're going to insist that if you care about this, you should do it for free, that's immediately going to write people off in terms of how they financially survive. So I think it's also an issue of class and exclusivity, which is really important. Oh, that, that is such a good point. And and really, really, I think it feeds into the wider aspects of the, the creative section of this industry as well. Because if you're a filmmaker, the same applies. If you're a DOP, you're expected to do that and have your own equipment. Like it's, it is that those boundaries being there at such an entry level thing. And then people going, oh, but why don't we have 50-50 yet? And I was like, well, that's why. Like those barriers are there, even though they're not necessarily seen or felt. So it's a really, really brilliant point. Um, so I do want to go on to a little bit about um, what does you did touch on this, but what is it, what makes a good review and what makes a bad review, and what's your take on the star, <laughs> the stars, <laughs> and we go back that way. Um, I think for me, a film a film review is a piece of art that discusses a film and it, it argues for the importance of art. It says, what is this film doing? How is it, what vision of the world is it presenting? How will it open up questions about how you perceive the world? What will it leave you feeling? And it is an argument for the existence of cinema and the existence of art. And so even when you're reviewing a bad film going, but there are so many possibilities of where this could have gone. How could we have left feeling? How could we have left this film feeling? Um, but I think the best reviews you don't need to have seen the film to read them and leave the review thinking about something because they will open up those questions. And I think sometimes film reviews can go, and sometimes when it's, you know, uh, like a, a more mainstream film or a kid's film, you do have to hit the beats of, like, here's the plot and here's what the visuals are and here's the star rating. But hopefully you're leaving it with some form of insight or exploration and questions. I hate the star system so deeply. Um, and I think it's because... 
and I said this, we were chatting before, but if I see a rom-com and I see what it's trying to do and it's trying to bring joy and it's trying to open up questions about relationships and leave us with a sense of hope or a sense of cynicism or feeling jaded or hopeful or cynical or whatever, and I think that's done what it wants to do brilliantly and I give that five stars. And then I give five stars to the Oscar-rated prestige drama. People lose their minds at me going, how could you put these on the same level? Which I think inherently creates hierarchies of film. And I'm like, they're exploring different questions and it's how they are doing that are they doing it effectively films have different aims and it's i view the star system as seeing them with their subjective aims and reviewing it that way but people just tend to lose their minds rotten tomatoes needs to shut down and stop and white fanboys need to stop emailing me on linkedin giving out to me about my rotten tomatoes meters it's yeah it gets dangerous that's a very actually interesting point and that's the the what i was saying about you sort of being a public figure where you don't, like, I wouldn't, like, obviously I'm not out there as much, but you wouldn't necessarily get the feedback from people. And I think, like, being a woman in the media, you're getting a backlash probably more than Chris might if you publish something. I'm sure everyone has opinions and they do like to share them on social media. Um, but I suppose that's, that's sort of what we do as well. But it, but that thing is there where you're more of a target. And do you, again, feel like as a woman that your opinion is questioned probably more? I think what's interesting is that film and film reviews often create this idea of what is authentic and what is important and what is noble. And we think that those ideas are objective when actually they've been based on the opinions of a lot of straight white men, white men throughout history. And film criticism, a lot of the time we talk about like film critics should be objective when reviewing films. I don't believe there's anything, uh, there's no such thing as objective journalism, there's no such thing as an objective review of a piece of art. It shouldn't be. It's how you as an individual respond to it and you open up questions for people. And I've always brought subjectivity and my positionality as you know a queer woman uh to my reviews and I'm open about that because I think that's important for the audience to know my gaze but to also understand this is my understanding of this film and this is how a lot of films have made me feel invisible or unseen or objectified and I think that's why diversity in film criticism is so important but I think when you have a history of art that is based on the opinions of white men, when you challenge that and you push back on that, there can be a lot of resistance to it. And they think that you are somehow making this about identity politics and saying, you have made this about identity politics forever, but because it's been straight white men, that is, you've seen that as default, so you haven't noticed it. And so I think opening up those questions can be very threatening, and then people get very angry on Twitter. Yes, it's true. But at this stage, you get used to it. <laughs> and Chris, so about what Our makes a good review? Straight white men. There you go. What makes a good review? What makes a bad review? The star system. And uh, any comment on what Ro just said? So that's that question is about 10 questions long. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's but we'll go back this way. Yeah, we just hand over to the straight white man. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, actually, I was at a wedding recently, and I always find when people ask about, you know, when they find out you review films for a living, um, the first question they ask is, you know, oh, do you eat popcorn when you're watching the films in the morning? Which I think is a, is a little silly. The second one is how, and this person did not disappoint, um, no, I'm sorry if they're listening to this, uh, how do you remain objective when you're writing a film review? And I thought, there's no such thing. There, that's a press release or that's a news article. Um, you know, it's it's all subjective. You know, and I sometimes get a little bit frustrated when I see things in a review or when I hear. And I, look, I've I've probably written this and I probably said this. In my opinion, or this might not be for everyone. We know that 
we we know that we're working with an opinion here. Um, so yeah, it is important to you know not when you're when you're reviewing a film to not sit there and think what would the target audience think or what would other people think of this. No, what what would you think? Um, and I think what makes a good review is. A great review is one that you come away from wanting to see the film, even if they've just torn it apart. You know, so that's something that's an art form in itself, which you discussed, uh, something that's, that's entertaining, that's quite clever. You can see through a review if the person doesn't know what they're talking about, if they don't know anything about film, if they don't know the way that film is made. Um, I'm not saying you have to be, you know, an expert in every part of the field, but, you know, knowing your stuff helps a lot. Um, so, yeah, to be creative with it, to remember to, 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 to remember to, to, to have some fun with it, um, to be respectful as well. I mean, everyone loves a good hatchet job and they're an awful lot of fun to, to put together. It is. It, and look, they're the easiest to write as it's well. It's so yeah. much fun to write a bad review. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be fun for the person reading it, especially it's, it's kind of hard to, to, re to review maybe bad Irish films sometimes that, you know, we could have an, an entire discussion about that, you know, because it is such a small pool and you are going to come across the people and you don't want to be disrespectful. So that's quite tricky. Um, but the star system then, I don't like it because sometimes I might be talking to friends and I might finish, we might have a discussion about a film that I've seen that morning and all they'll want to know is, and how many stars would you give it? And if I say three, they say, oh, well, then it's not great. That's not what I said. Uh, you know, that's, that, that, it's so reductive. The Rotten Tomato system has just ruined film criticism. This whole check back tomorrow for the Rotten Tomato score. That's bull. It's, it's, it's not a competition. It shouldn't be. I know we, especially around award season, we treat films as though we are, you know, at the races, as though we're all competing against one another. But it's, it's quite sad to see it go that way. Um, so yeah, in short, yeah, it's, it's all subjective. Uh, remember to uh, have fun with your reviewing, and yeah, I agree with Ro. Rotten Tomatoes should be shut down. <laughs> and just out of curiosity, before we pass along, did you would you f get negative feedback from people oh, yeah. um, out there on the social media that would like you know be quite personal or? Yeah. Like attacks. Wow. Yeah, no one ever gets in touch to say they like your stuff. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, you do, yeah. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like for you, and, and, and I probably don't uh, get an awful lot of abuse uh, from, you know, Marvel fanboys or whatever, um, but uh, they're the worst, though. Uh, but, 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 yeah, people will get in touch to say, you know, you're, you're not funny because maybe I was trying to be funny in an article. Um, they'll, uh, they won't just disagree with you. They'll, you know, just slag you off. Um, I don't know. Yeah, people will get in touch quite a lot through Twitter. Um, but I always respond to them. And I just always respond with, uh, thanks for reading. So... On the flip side, Disney used to give an award to the best bad review of a film if they knew it was a bit of a clunker, and I really miss that. That was a lot of fun, because if we knew something was terrible, everyone would kind of compete to just give it the most creative hatchet job, which was gas crack. They don't do it anymore. I think they realized they were enabling us. <laughs> they were encouraging the bad reviews to come in. And to rock. Uh, okay, don't know where to start also, because like, of talking, but I, I completely agree with the subjectivity thing about like, yeah, uh, there is no such an objective review. Like, um, it, it depends on who you are, what's your uh, economic status, uh, what did you study, what which films did you see before each other films. Um, and I guess, yeah, it happens to me a lot when I see, for example, like Egyptian films or like Egyptian diasporic films, like diaspora directors, filmmakers making films. And succeeding here in Europe and like 
very hated in the Arab world, then you can see the dynamic because, like, yeah, it depends on how we see uh, other films. Maybe it happens to me that I see Iranian film that Iranians hate, but I love because I don't fully get the context of of the language, of the of the film itself, of how like we uh, of the look into each other. And this is like also have been like a, a stereotypical things like from the perspective of cinema, which like stayed white for a very long time, and also like like not ac- the accessibility of other cinemas in the, in the in the world is not as big as marketed as in Hollywood. Uh, for me, what makes a, a good review it's it's like the connection of the film to the film history itself so what is the position of the film in the in the in the cinema progression and also the context of the history itself it's kind of a cultural product that is put into kind of a system um, and i consider like film criticism is kind of what is called cultural mediation so you are you are in a place in between you 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 have some extra knowledge and you add this knowledge to your biases to your Everything and like you put the review, of course, with the with the like the goal of making people watch the film if you love it. Uh, and I I tend not like to. Some, sometimes I don't for for the thing about like the bad reviews. Or sometimes I don't like to write bad reviews. I, I think sometimes ignoring uh, <laughs> works better than. But but if you sometimes can't say you anything nice. Assigned. Don't say yeah. anything at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then like yeah, so. Uh, it, it should be the goal of making people watch the film as well. Um, yeah, I guess. And what about your feedback on your reviews? Have you had, um, you know, people responding well to them? Do you ever get questioned? I, th- I think most of the people, like, nowadays, it's because, like, uh, people respond on, on mostly, like, in, in, a, in a social media way. So you get, like, likes and you get everything on when you share something on Facebook, LinkedIn, or something. But most of the direct feedback comes from colleagues or people that is like are closer. But sometimes, yeah, you, you get some people in, like, maybe in my inbox. But, yeah, it, it is not, it, it doesn't reach cursing or something. <laughs> no Marvel fanboys yet. <laughs> yeah, for the third, uh, yeah, uh, for the third system, I, for, for me, I, I don't think it's, like, I don't think I, I, I can put stars because like my opinions change every year. So if I if I rate something for three stars, it might be four stars and I don't like like it's very I think I think it comes from the internet and like when you see on TikTok nowadays everybody's going like putting the stars. It's something for like um, the fast consumption of everything that is happening and it's also a kind of fast marketing for films. Sometimes it indicates something good but i i can't really do it like it doesn't I, it doesn't work for me no he's a fan of the stars i yeah <laughs> i actually yeah i don't mind stars at all i think you can twist stars around to your own purposes so when i give stars i explain why i've given them and what what i've given them for so i might say you know three stars of which two are for the acting or you know so so that it it, it still becomes my opinion rather than just a blanket um, dismissal or endorsement of a particular film. So, I think if you treat the stars as as part of your own critical perspective, then then it's okay. Um, and you know, I mean, I sort of coming at the end because I sort of just would like to say I agree. But um, I, I mean, I think there are things when I'm reviewing, for instance, I, 
I'm always trying to push people into the cinema to see films, and I often would say, but see it in the cinema, because I think that um, there are so many of the films that we review that we'll, we'd have seen in the cinema, and they'll have lost their effect if people only watch them on their smartphones. So I think part of what I'm trying to do is to get people to go to the cinema. Um, but also, uh, you know, going back to, to what you were saying about bad reviews, you may be going to talk about this, Gemma. I think we, it's particularly difficult with Irish films, and it's something that, you know, in a sense, the film review is possibly the only critical moment that film will, film will receive, uh, because um, in the media, this, you know, it's, it's really swamped with kind of free PR uh, stuff, which is the interview with the star, who's already been signed a contract to only say good things about the film. You know, we're talking about this with Chris. Stars used to be great in the past. They used to say, this film was rubbish, but why didn't you see this? But now they'll be fired if they do that. So there's, there's so much that's just ancillary PR. I mean, I don't watch uh, chat shows on television without branding anybody because all you're doing is seeing somebody promote their book, their film, their you know, big rug- rugby victory or whatever it was. Um, so too much of the media, in my opinion, is just an extension of the PR business. So I think the film reviewer is it's just one of those few moments when you can actually get in there and actually critique something. And I think there's a difference between the critique and being negatively critical. And I, I think that's a really important part of the infrastructure of Irish cinema as well, because I do think overall we lack a critical culture. Um, and there is a fear of being seen to be negative about something when actually what you really want to say is, well, if you'd only done this, it might have been a better film. So I, I take that part of my um, of my remit very seriously, but I'm also very, very conscious of how difficult it is to make a film, and I couldn't do it. So those are things that, that, you know, that I'm always bearing in mind when I'm reviewing stuff. That's a, that's a very good point as well, because... But I also, you we take into account that it's really low budget or, you know, like it's, it's apples and oranges when comparing an Irish film to a big Hollywood film because their pockets are never ending. Their edits can go on for a year. They can have test audiences and they can go back and like CGI in an actor if something wasn't working properly. Like it's just, and those resources aren't there for Irish films and to support um, our indigenous filmmaking. Yeah, but then we still can't let them off always because of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That you still want to be, like, you still can do better quite often, even on a teeny budget. And, you know, quite often it starts with the script. The script may not have been completed before the film goes into production. Why was that script not completed before the film went into production? Should we be supporting script writing when we're supporting the infrastructure of filmmaking better? I think there are questions there that belong to the critical culture that, that we as film critics can raise that, that um, there is no other space for those to get discussed, yeah. other than in kind of grumpy sessions where everybody's saying, I'm not getting enough money. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's also an issue that a lot of people have an internal bias against Irish cinema, and my dilemma is always, if there's a film, and I know how hard it is to get an Irish film made, you can see the potential there, and whatever didn't quite work about it, but if I, if I give that a too generous review, someone reading that review is not going to trust my reviews, I might not go back to Irish cinema again, because all the Irish critics have told them this is amazing and they went in and saw a mediocre film and that might heighten their bias against Irish cinema so again you're thinking about what can I do how can I be as generous as possible to the people who worked really hard in this film, their aims what they wanted to achieve but also be responsible and generous towards Irish cinema goers and say what are we doing collectively to support Irish cinema and to make it better and to ensure that people still go to see Irish cinema and not turn them against it which I think is a tricky dilemma 
Good, good point. Um, so thumbs down, I think the latest study said 74% of reviewers were male and 26% are women. Um, and I just wanted to, um, I'll start with you, Ruth, and we'll go back that way. Uh, just what's your on-the-ground experience of that? Um, and I'm sure that like feeds into class and race and everything. I, I think it feeds into everything. And I, th- you know, I think that overall we still have a very white media um, and, you know, hopefully that will change as more of the, you know, newer Irish citizens will go through education and come out and, and get get more opportunities. And, and I do think those doors are opening. So I think we're going in the right direction if slowly. I mean, I've never found myself disadvantaged because it's not my job to be a film critic. My job is to be a university lecturer. So I don't depend on it for my living. If I never reviewed films again, which I hope, you know, doesn't happen, it doesn't make a difference to me. And, and I do think, I agree, people should be properly paid for what they do. Um, but I, you know, I, I used to think, I think it's really improved a lot too, because I used to find that I was always picking up on the kind of, if you like, to put it rather crudely, the female aspect of a film and saying, oh, you know, this film's great, but it's all about guys. Where's the woman's story in it? Um, and I think now, when I'm sitting in the studio arena, with it's always another male, you know, with male female, as you know, the guys are much more attuned to that. So I think there has been a movement in the sort of critical uh, world to to become more attuned to diversity, uh, to to representation on screen. So I, I don't think it's my job as much as it used to be to always say, oh, this film is, you know, where's, why is she a mother? <laughs> you know, why is she in the home? Why doesn't she actually have a job? Um, and, and those kind of things, or why is she defined by being a mother and in the home? So I, I think it's improving, but very slowly. But I think, I mean, the other thing I would just say, it's a fantastic job, as, as everybody's been saying, being a film critic, and I'd love to see more women getting that opportunity to do it, just because it's a great thing to do. And, and there is something disconcerting about going to a film screening in Dublin, a preview of a film, in the lighthouse and looking around and seeing that, you know, easily two-thirds of the other people are men. Um, And and you think, oh, (laughs) where are the women? So we do need more opportunities. How that is done, I don't know the answer, but I'd love people, young women, to feel inspired enough to get on the road to being film critics. And how do you think that affects the reviews as well? Like, do you think it's more male-skewed? You were saying that you do think that 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 is changing and... I think I think it's changing, but um, you know, I mean, I I can be as gender, you know, I can be as sort of when I sit in 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 an arena and there's a superhero movie, I just really hope the guy beside me is a superhero fan because I'm not, and I will just, you know, I mean, sexism doesn't even begin to describe my attitude to this. You review it, you know, and tell me what I can't even tell the difference between Marvel and DC. But I I do think that uh, there aren't enough films where you can really get your teeth into still. And I think you have to keep saying it. You just have to keep saying, not enough films about women, not enough films made by women. Where is the female director? And, and I think you can keep even saying what's not there mm. often rather than what's there. And if you keep saying it often and often enough, hopefully it will stick. Brilliant. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, to think of it in, in, the, in the Egyptian context, for example, because like before the internet, actually before the blogging and, and like before the digital media, it was like mostly men and like, yeah, maybe they, they were all like kind of 12 critics that like stayed for so many years. 
like men and like maybe like uh, mostly men of course and like two or three women and it was so exclusive in a way and then with the blogging with the internet it started to open like nowadays like i guess the context is in in the egyptian critics is somehow balanced in a way it's i don't know if it's 50 50 or not but like uh like the, the the Egyptian Film Critics Association was led by a woman, a young woman, uh, in like uh, since two years, and like. And did you notice a change in the output of reviews or or the tone of reviews or? Like like the association is, is so much concerned about like critics going to festivals and reviewing films, but but like when I'm coming to to this point, it's it's again it's like another bias that I can't have as a man, so it's very important for reviewing to have like lots of everyone like like coming from different places because because i can't see like the same perspective even if i understand like uh, films about like uh, fragile masculinity for example like uh, films that tackle somehow feminist uh, issues you know but like for me i i remember one review about cries and whispers and it was written by a woman. I can't recall the name now because it, it was an, an edited book like it's about the film, and it was an introduction to feminist theory. And I remember because I like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Bergman fan, so I'm very like and, and like I like the trilogy. But it was so new to me that like someone is writing about like seeing from another perspective that I couldn't even like think of any time. So. So yeah, diversity like behind the screen and in front of the screen, and I guess like the thing with like of course sometimes we have, it's it's a long history of of exclusivity and like yeah privilege, but it's changing now due to like lots of things, mostly like the internet, like the the means of production itself. So if if you don't have any outlet, you can you can like write on Facebook, you can write on Instagram, on Twitter, and you can become famous like. You, there are some people who who are doing it without any help. I remember one critic, for for example, like coming from YouTube, and he had zero connections. He didn't know anyone, and he was like the most famous one among us. <laughs> so yeah, it's a good democratization of of the of the criticism. Yeah, and the I, filmmaking I mean. as well, because like nowadays, what, what you see also with with the, with the other, uh, even even like when I think of of TikTok, it's it's some kind of an introduction to filmmaking. Like twenty years ago, what you did in TikTok, like editing some simple video, it was taking in a, you know in a workshop. Nowadays, like you can be nine years old and you hold your phone and you you do it. So. And actually, you'd hear of that in of broadcasters in the UK um, scouting for talent on TikTok. Yeah. Like where they're scrolling instead of going to like I mean it is it is definitely changing and now AI as well on top of that is 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 going to rupture it even further like we don't really understand how it will impact it but it's definitely going to make a shift but very interesting. Uh, I think there there probably is a problem when you walk into the lighthouse on a Monday morning and you see that it's sometimes you know some mornings can it can be just wall to wall dudes and and that's not great. I don't know some people might be listening to this and say well then Chris why don't you give your job. Oh, then why don't you know? I know, so I know, so I don't, ha- I don't have the the answer right now. Um, but uh, but in terms of, of of does that affect the films that you review? And does, does that does that affect how you review films? Uh, I just know that myself and my colleague Hilary White, we review films for the Sunday Independent, and we'll look at the schedule that's coming up. 
and we'll see there might be some you know major studio tempo mainstream blockbuster that okay we're probably going to have to cover this unless it's the fifth or sixth you know Superman film and it's like well people have already made their minds up whether or not they're they're going to go to that we kind of look at might, what people might want to read there's an independent film here that you know really kind of could. Uh, could could use their support. Well, I say use their support. We haven't seen it yet. We don't know whether it's good. But we'll make a selection of films. We'll see who's behind them. And if there is a film, unfortunately, there are fewer films on that schedule that are directed by women. And, and if we see one, we kind of go, well, then we have to review that. We can't. We, we're not just going to pick the the other ones. Just I, it, it just it just we don't feel right about it. Not picking it. Um, I don't think we're going to solve. That the issue today of why why there are fewer critics, but but there are, and we Ruth and I were having the discussion earlier. Even when it comes to like the um, like major newspapers in Ireland, all of the most of the critics, most of them are are, are male, um, and I'm not sure why that is. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think something that's important is that we're not only talking about diversity in film criticism for the sake of ticking boxes and for the sake of being able to say there's a 50-50 split gender-wise. I think what's important is the impact that it has. So if you think that you know there was a study that said 82% of critics are white, 78% are male, and 90% of the top critics who get their reviews published on, for example, Rotten Tomatoes are men. And there are impacts of this because white men are more likely across the board Chris and Hillary are wonderful exceptions but across the board are more likely to review films that are centered on and directed by white men and reviewed films get reviewed they get more pro- pro- uh, press they get more publicity and so there's a decision being made and it might be subconscious and it mightn't be explicit but there's a decision there being made of what art gets elevated and valued and remembered and what art art fades into obscurity and even what artists fade into obscurity like there's been studies that show when white men review films directed by women they're less likely to mention the name of the director and we can see that then how that impacts stuff like the Oscar nominations where Sarah Polly this year was nominated for best adapted screenplay for women talking she wasn't nominated for a director because her name is literally not happened her name is not being put in the same sentence as directed um and then the impact then of what art we're seeing, you know, if if films about women, if films about queer people, if films about people of colour, people with disabilities, marginalised people aren't being reviewed as much, aren't getting as much, pr- as much press, people don't go to see them. And as a society, if the aim of art is to inhabit a different world or get a different perspective or and to develop empathy and to develop curiosity and mainstream audiences aren't seeing those films, it has this absolute ripple effect on society and who we empathize with and empathy can be a wonderful thing and it can be weaponized you know we can direct empathy only towards people who look like us and therefore have less empathy for other people and so I think as a society these things have huge impacts so it's not just a box ticking exercise and I think there's really important issues this isn't only about gender like the amount of for example black female critics is minuscule Um, and then even during COVID you know we Irish film critics are based in Dublin and the screenings happen in Dublin, which again is a, you know, we're in the middle of a housing crisis. There are all these huge issues affecting how many people can afford to live or travel to Dublin every day. And then work for free for the first year of and your career. And then work for free. But even during COVID, because we couldn't go to screenings, a lot of the big studios started sending us screeners so we could watch films at home on our laptop, which is not the ideal way to see a lot of films, I understand. But it meant that it was immediately much more accessible. And suddenly, 
critics with disabilities, critics with autoimmune diseases and who carers. can't go to... So I, I had a young baby at that time and I couldn't Women, go mothers. to things. And like that as well, like I'd be kind of stuck in the house. Childcare is unaffordable. Again, making it more of a class issue that I'm like, it just makes that more accessible and we'll have more voices in the room. So I wouldn't have had to, I didn't have to take a big long career break and then try and make a name for myself again, you know, re-establish connections because it's a freelance mm -hmm. industry, a lot of it as well. And it's harder to get back into those instead of just taking a clean maternity leave. And again, if you're looking at film criticism as a way of expanding our understanding of experiences, like whose embodied experiences on screen are we referring to and are we, you know, talking about when it's a lot of able-bodied critics who are able to go to a city centre every day? And even, I have raged about this to all of my friends at Lent, but I hated the film The Whale so much. And if you think of that film as being about a fat person with health issues and mobility issues, how many critics who have that embodied experience were talking about that film when it came out and again it was a lot of people calling this film that was incredibly fat phobic and really damaging and also I would argue very homophobic um, they were saying that this is noble and this is important because it was centering this character as being pitiful and grotesque and monstrous in so many ways and only after that film came out and mainstream audiences could see it could a lot of people who are fat who have disabilities a lot of queer people could they start adding their voices to the conversation and only then were the criticisms heard but by then a lot of critics had defined the conversation around this really damaging film going no this is wonderful isn't it glorious that we are patronizing fat queer people and so thinking about films that come out about disability and films that come out about mothers like how many of those people are actually reviewing those films and becoming part of the conversation and therefore influencing the conversation we're having as a society so this isn't just a box ticking exercise it's how are we elevating conversations about art and empathy in society and actually i'd love to get everyone's comment on that um if that's all right if we go back that way um because that's some very very good points on the whale <laughs> <laughs> on the issues raised around the whale. Uh, yeah, it is interesting that uh, you're absolutely right, actually. The conversations coming out about the whale at the beginning were just like, this is an incredible performance. This is all about Brendan Fraser. And uh, it, the, it was defined that by the time audiences got to see it, and I know, like, like even myself, like when I got to see it, I thought, no, this is actually quite problematic. That was just drowned out by you. So all of the themes, are, were uh, all the conversations that were going to be defined were already defined by probably the majority of white middle class critics, uh, kind of, you know, people like myself even, uh, who saw the film and thought, they're not seeing the problems in it. Um, yeah. Uh, my, my, I, I would like to add up uh, something about like COVID because like in, in COVID, I guess like lots of film festivals also went online, which made it like a lot more easier because like I attended Cannes for like 100 euros and this is like impossible now. It's like... Yeah. Yeah, and, and it also happened with lots of festivals that you wouldn't go, like, because the place is very expensive. I, I know it's going normal now because of the nature of every festival and how they bring money and, and all of this, but it was a good opportunity to attend some festivals that you wouldn't dream because of, like, you have to be very privileged, for example, to attend Sundance if, not, if, if someone is not sponsoring you to go. Uh, same as Cannes, same as Venice, and like Berlin, of course, is like the leftist inside of them. So it's yeah, somehow easier. But yeah, but it takes a lot of privileges, and and I also I I don't depend on on I go I go to a lot of festivals, but I don't go ever as a film critic, you know. So so a filmmaker, I depend on other like things, 
So I work with film festivals, so I go for programming mainly, and then like I do the film criticism for myself because I, I also don't rely on it financially. And I guess there was like a study like that only 10% of, of, uh, of film critics, uh, critics can depend on their sole job as film critics, aside from uh, like uh, being in the university, being working with the festival, working with an industry magazine, and etc. Uh, the other thing about like the Oscars and everything, uh, but with what I saw in the in the ceremony, it's becoming like also you have to see that a twenty four, which was like packing all the the the, the films glorified at the at the at the ceremony, is is depending on a very technique that is relating to the fan system, which is building like a kind of a niche, a kind of a cult around the films, and they do very good marketing. They do good films, of course. Some some are good, some are great, and like just like any production company, but they are like dominating it. And also when you look at most of their directors, they are boys in a way. And it's it's a kind of hard thing, but but also even even as a as a critic, for example, uh, and even if I write in English, what kind of outlet that would, would allow me space to say in front of like Variety, Screen, and Hollywood Reporter, which are like, you you know it you know it you can't trust an industry magazine it's somehow true and do you think as well actually before about the representation about how you know the, the things that are that are problematic that are missed in in film like like i was just thinking there was um oh, tomorrow I was watching that show and a woman strikes a man three times because she's angry with him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this was a funny trope. Isn't she upset? And I'm like, that both diminishes her strength and also belittles domestic abuse that happens from women against men. And I'm like, how are we still watching this on screen now in this day and age? But it's still there. It's still on the tropes. It's still on a really big budget TV show. So there's so much stuff that is still, despite that heightened awareness being missed and how do you yeah. feel about it i i think it started very lately in the world like the, the thing with the diversity and 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 with with any political movement just like black lives matter it started like to move more because like the industry is, is in the world and the world is like somehow like like very political and then you have to yeah wait for something to happen me too movement i guess it, it gave a, a very great push to, to women filmmakers and women on the screen, but sometimes like people criticize it and say it like, okay, but this is not a good film, but this this is another story. So and it's also the thing is like you have to wait, just like you waited with with all the white male filmmakers, especially in Hollywood. For example, you waited lots of time. It's like one hundred years of cinema, and then like. You you have also to wait for the underprivileged people to to exercise and practice, and then you will get like you you can then like say it's more balanced or something. But the the other thing about diversity, which is I I think is very controversial, is about like the screening of films that contain ideas that are controversial for now. And I know like for for example, uh, I think maybe Disney or something like they banned some of the films of like the 40s and golden age of Hollywood and like especially of course also the the films of uh, Griffith for example some some channels are banning it 
but I, I don't think it's also like a very good thing to remove history and just like nothing happened, you know, you have to show it and but you have to put context into it, you know, and you you don't have to remove it just like nothing happened, you know, it's all right. That's a very good point as well and raises so many more. But no, we're running really low on time. So just before we go to Ruth and get her opinion and take on this, if anyone has any questions, be thinking of them now because I'm going to call on you So after this. Okay, well, well, I, I'm happy to say I thought the whale was loathsome and, um, and, and, uh, and, and said so on arena, so um, that, that, that's okay. But, I mean, the other thing I do think that, you know, we should all worry about is the echo chamber. Um, because we are talking to the, to the mirror a lot of the time. And, and one of the questions, and again, I don't have a solution to it, is how do we break out of that echo chamber? And, and, and a consequence of social media is that, you know, you, you, oh, <laughs> you like that, so watch this. Um, I mean, I, I share Netflix with my, with my son, so I've, I'm slightly surprised quite often about what I liked and try this because I'm really not into WWE um, but, but, but we do live in, in a danger I think particularly which is always social media is always reinforcing a set of opinions that, are, that we find comfortable and again as I say don't have the solution but I think it's very very important that we break out of that echo chamber and that we um, again even if it's just <laughs> having this topic we were discussing Chris and I were talking about this about um, I'm getting a bit of kickback from my students about saying, showing birth of a nation. <laughs> and I think they should see birth of a nation, even if it's contextualized. But should I, you know, should I only show students that have stuff that has sort of, you know, nice content? <laughs> so, so that's something that, as I say, I don't have the solution to, but I think it's something that we should consider. And it, it is, it's a, it's a broader discussion. Yep. I just think one thing I want to come back with, the idea of during COVID when screeners were made accessible to critics, I think a lot of the smaller studios and a lot of the smaller cinemas in Dublin have always been really good at providing screeners when necessary. But the, a lot of the big studios have gone back to absolutely refusing to provide screeners. And so there are choices being made there. It's now very clear that we are able to do this. We are able to make film critici criticism more accessible to people who don't live in big cities or have disabilities or chronic illnesses or who are carers or whatever and there are decisions we made there and I think that's a really important thing to pull big studios up on um, but I also think that point of Ruth of the how do you fix it I think one thing that I often find problematic about film criticism is the idea of I have to be an authority on everything and there can be a lack of humility and curiosity and for example for The Whale and again a lot of this can be down to deadlines you know, very basically but what would happen if you went to see a film and said I don't know how this is isn't my embodied experience of the world and I don't know how I feel about this and this feels problematic could my review be a conversation with somebody who has that embodied experience and would that be much more helpful than me trying to put together an opinion that might change as I understand more about the film whereas it marinates a little bit and I've seen films there's a website called Pahiba and a gorgeous thing they do is that um, the main editor Justin Rolls often brings his seven year old to kids films and then they have a chat about it and he just provides the transcript and it's adorable but I was like how much better would it be that if a straight cis white male was going to see a film about a, trans, a black trans character that they had a conversation with a black trans person saying how did you feel about this film and this was something I was struggling with and could you provide some enlightenment so using our platform and hopefully using our writing ability and our ability to question but also giving 
uh, a platform to a voice that could provide much more illumination to that. And I think having space for those kinds of conversations within criticism, so it's not just based on us that we get to learn along with the reader, could be a huge shift. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, a funny thing that we're asked to do after we've seen the film is to give a reaction to distributors and studios. And I think they want to gauge how the film is going to be received and, I don't know, make some sort of plan if it's not going to go well. Um, but it's almost like, a, and, and, you know, that's, and that's a job that has to be done, but it's almost like we need to give an instant reaction. We need to, have, we need to know straight away what our opinion is. We need to have a fully formed opinion. And then we're all under deadlines. And if it's a big film, and we're using the whale as an example all the time here, but you know, there was an awful lot of press around that. Editors wanted that review straight away. So you immediately had to have a fully formed opinion on this. And then you file a piece, and the next day you sometimes think, oh, wait, actually, I didn't really understand what was happening there. I don't know how I feel about this character. I would like to have actually talked to maybe somebody else. Not that someone else's opinion is going to shape yours, but just at least have a discussion about it. And I think not a lot of talk goes into it. And um, I'm going to say those dreaded words. We could actually probably do a podcast on this. Uh, you know, things we got wrong as critics. I've gone back to films, you know, a year later and thought, oh, shit, I got that really wrong. Uh, this is actually... This is good, and this is, I, I I didn't really understand the themes here, and I didn't understand what they were going for, and a lot of and and that might have to do with my gender, my background, uh, where it might have it, it might have to do with just you know how I was feeling that day. So sometimes we get it wrong, sometimes we don't have the time to form the opinion that 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 we want to have, and sometimes we're just kind of pressured into just having an opinion on it. So yeah, it's important to let stuff breathe and to and to come back to it. And that's that's so true. I, I remember um, reading about a study in America where judges um, they were, yeah, with they were like they they were checking to see how severe um, a, a punishment that they would and, and like a, a punishment that they'd issue down to people who were found guilty, and they found people got harsher punishments the further they were from lunch. So the hungrier the judges were. The meaner they were, so depending on where you were in that judge's schedule, you could either get away really lightly. But if they were full and had a lovely big carby lunch, you'd be fine. But it, but it's like that, like that physiology affects the way you view a film as well. is is very interesting. Um, but I'd love to uh, open it up. So does anyone has any questions? Yes. Oh, Brett. Um, I was wondering how you approach like reviewing a film that maybe you have some personal connection to, either you know someone who worked on it or even just the topic is something that's personal to you. Um, but maybe you didn't the film wasn't great or maybe or maybe you loved it, but how do you approach something that's quite personal? So you can I'll, I'll, I'll start. Yeah. <laughs> I think you just put your cards on the table. Um so you say I mean, I was actually reviewing uh, two weeks ago God's Creatures, the Irish film, and I had a personal beef with it because it was shot in Donegal where I, when I was in lockdown, but the film was actually relocated to Cork, and that bothered me. Um, and so I said that, you know, I have this personal, you know, and, and I also had a sort of a, a gripe about it, the way it depicted rural Ireland, because I spend a lot of time in rural Ireland. So I said that. And, and that, you know, so everybody knows I'm coming from a particular perspective. And I think that's what you, that's what I would do. Yeah. Um, if I'm involved, I would never do any kind of review for work, if, even if I just like read a script or something, because I, I, I think this is so like, um, 
far to do, and it's hard to be not biased by it in a way. Um, but if, if if the director is the friend of mine, uh, if the director is friend of mine, and I don't like the film, and I have to write the review because sometimes you you might lose your review if if it's not so necessary. But if it's necessary, you have to write everything because just like Ruth said, she like it's about like readers trust you as a critic. You can't fail this trust. And even like a friend of, um, even like a friend hates the review. It's like he he would even tr he or she would even trust you more with their next film than they would understand it. But of course they would be angry in the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> and then like you run. Um, how do I approach it? Uh, with great fear. Uh, <laughs> I think um, uh, recently my brother was actually involved in the writing process for an Irish film which I won't name. Um, and so straight away, uh, A, conflict of interest, and B, that's going to ruin our relationship forever if I go near that. Um, uh, but I think if it's a friend or if it's an acquaintance, uh, you just have to be honest. Uh, you'll probably, you know, if it's a bad review, you might go a little, you know, the review might have softer edges and, you know, you won't go to town on it. Um, but, yeah, you can't let, I don't think, a relationship or uh, a friendship get in the way of, of honest critique. No, I haven't had that experience. I've probably prevented myself from making some friends in Ireland because of my reviews, but it hasn't come up. But I think if it's a per it's an issue that feels per personal to you, I think there is a balance. I think I've written some really personal pieces. Like I wrote a very personal piece when the Fifty Shades film came out because I thought it just glorified so much violence and perpetuated so many aspects of rape culture. I was very open about the fact that I've experienced sexual violence. And so being in a cinema where people are laughing at this and glorifying this was really deeply upsetting. And my editors let me write a piece about that. And I thought that was important, again, for people going, this is a different perspective on the film than maybe I wouldn't have realized or understood or thought about and also i think it's giving context i think as a reviewer i think it's important to give context for where your opinion and where you're if you're having a strong re emotional reaction you're allowed to do that as long as you give context for where that's coming from and again aren't pretending my reaction to this is completely objective and i think there's a, a balance to be struck there of going i still want to discuss the art and the merits of the art and this isn't all about me but if i'm having an emotional reaction i think that's helpful or illuminating or that someone else might share that emotional response making sure they're not feeling alone and again giving some readers some insight into different emotional experiences to the film i think that's vital to address explicitly actually that's that's a very good point like there's certain films that could you know if someone's experiencing grief for example that could be a big trigger that you nearly want to trigger warning for people where it's like, you know, an older person dies after a prolonged illness for people. That will be a real big tr trigger. Or even to say, if you're going through grief, actually, you will understand this film on a deeper level than someone who isn't, which can also, like, it's not always about warning people off films. It's also about saying, if you've been through this, this is going to hit you in a different way. And maybe that's going to be really important for you. Maybe this becomes the piece of art that makes you feel seen. So I think it's also addressing those things. It's not necessarily always a warning sometimes it's an invitation and a real uh, a real selling point for a film not to put it in consumerist language but yeah and maybe a warning not to wear mascara or too much mascara when you're going to see the film just in case but um yeah yeah hi Thank, thanks that was really interesting and um i think it should be the first of many conversations to be honest 
I've felt for a long time there just hasn't been enough engagement about film criticism. And when I put together this idea, uh, I, Screen Ireland was supportive. Sometimes with all the applications, you can't remember who. But when Screen Ireland put it together, um, I had been thinking, well, okay, it'll be in Dublin somewhere and I'll moderate and I'll organize because, because it's very much a part of my, um, my thoughts at the moment, really. Like you, Ruth, being a university lecturer, there's a number of issues to that. A big issue we could talk about here is that a lot of young people aren't interested in film at all, actually. And it's actually, they don't see very much, they don't watch very much, they don't respond in the way that maybe they did 10 years ago when you asked them what they like. Um, and so I think that's kind of interesting in and of itself. But I'm very glad I did bring it here. And by the way, I'm really glad that, uh, Gemma, that you're doing a great job and thank you for doing it for me. Uh, but the question I would say is this. I take the point you're saying, Chris, you know, there is a, a cinema full of men. What are you going to do about it? No, nothing that you can do about it. But I think it's back to us being aware of a lot of unconscious conscious bias issues that have come up in different areas. Because, of course, the same argument was, well, what can we do because all the directors are male? Or what can we do because all of, you know, and we went through all of that. And the only way you attempt to change it is by airing it, really, and by saying, well, look, what can we do about it? And, and nothing that individual critics can do overnight, except be conscious themselves, of course. But there, there are many aspects. I mean, who's behind the camera? Who's All of those are important. But the representations on screen are important as well. And uh, what, what have we normalized in terms of images and, uh, and narratives and so on? So uh, I just think, for me, this is just the very first step in a conversation that should be ongoing, actually. Brilliant. Anybody else? Great. Yeah, I was going to say what a what a good note to um, end it there on. Thank you so much to the panelists. Thanks to the bell table for being um, lovely hosts. Thanks to Susan and Eva and Aideen for the like just creating a wonderful festival and um, having us here as part of it. Uh, so we'll see you at six thirty in the foyer for the awards and uh, enjoy the rest of the festival. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about the work we do at womeninfilmandtelevision.ie.